All right, everybody. I'd like to welcome everybody to Grand Rounds today. Um, I would like to say that this is the end of the first month back from our academic year for Grand Rounds, and we've had a really amazing collection of speakers, both regional, national speakers, and now we have one of our fine local speakers. Um, as most of you know, Shalene Nett and I are coordinating, helping George Little coordinate Grand Rounds over this next year. So if either you, anybody in your section, are interested in speaking, um, please let either Shalene or myself know. If you know of a local, regional, or national speaker who you'd like to bring in, again, please email either myself or Shalene, and we'd be more than happy to try to get it organized and coordinated. Today, I have the honor of presenting my friend and colleague, Dr. Sue Tansky. Um, I've always known that Sue was a pretty awesome person who wears a lot of hats in this institution, but until I really read through her CV uh, last night, I didn't realize quite how awesome she is. So let me tell you a little bit about her. She graduated uh, medical school from the University of Connecticut, followed that by residency with the Child Advocacy and Primary Care Track at University of Rochester at Strong Memorial Hospital. Um, she got her MPH at Rochester and a General Academic Peace Fellowship. After finishing her fellowship, she went to work for the AAP before she joined us here in Dartmouth at two, in 2005. Like I said, Sue currently wears many hats. She is an Associate Professor of Pediatrics. She is our Section Chief for General Academic Pediatrics. Um, and I'm gonna say this wrong, so I have to get my notes out. She works within the Cancer Risk Behaviors Group at the Norris Cotton Care Center at Dartmouth. Um, and her research really includes a focus on visual media on adolescent drinking and smoking. She is both a nationally and internationally recognized speaker with over 39 peer review articles to her name. And I'm not gonna steal her thunder, but if anybody out there is a C-SPAN nerd, there is a wonderful video of Dr. Tansky testifying before the Senate this summer in June on e-cigarettes. So without further ado, I'm gonna introduce Sue, who's gonna teach us a little bit about e-cigarettes uh, and promise or peril. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Kathy. That was probably the most glowing introduction <laughs> I've had ever, so thank you. Um, and I would like to uh, acknowledge Auden McClure and the Culinary Medicine Group out there. Uh, if you guys all got to enjoy the granola, that is the new Cook, Eat, Learn uh, series that they are doing at Medicine Grand Rounds. So if any of you guys want to keep up with the food, you can go to Medicine Grand Rounds. I believe they do it every week. So uh, they're doing some pretty cool stuff, and we have this brand new division of culinary medicine. So I hope you're all awake this morning. Is the volume okay? All right, um, we're gonna talk about uh, electronic cigarettes and I promise you by the end of this, ooh, that's uh, fine for me, you guys okay? I promise by the end of this, you guys will know more about electronic cigarettes than you ever thought you needed to know. Um, so the COI that went out over the internet for, to all of you guys said that there's no uh, pertinent disclosures, there are none, but uh, I do, as a matter of habit, talk about, uh, just mention that I have a royalties agreement with Dartmouth that has nothing to do with this talk. And I will talk about nicotine replacement therapy at the very, very end in a not yet labeled manner, but that labeling is coming. So as I said, by the end of this, you guys are gonna know lots and lots about e-cigarettes and hopefully we'll have time for discussion and, and some questions because they always come up. We'll talk a bit about safety, poisoning, um, the fact that electronic cigarettes are completely unregulated, unregulated at present, but it's coming. And we'll talk about the risk to adolescents and the new glamorization of electronic cigarettes through advertising, which has not been seen of this like since the 1970s, actually since 1970. We stopped being allowed to have television ads for cigarettes in 1970, and now you can see e-cig ads on TV, and I'll show you some of those. And then we'll talk about the concerns about how they're used and people intending to use them for cessation and whether or not that's working. So I'm gonna start with a quote. This, is, uh, this was an addiction in 1994, so 20 years ago, uh, this was a, a statement that was made by a tobacco researcher. If people have difficulty overcoming both nicotine dependence and long-term habit change, then surely the solution is to help them avoid most of the health risks with only a minimal alteration in their nicotine-seeking habit. This implies a nicotine replacement device that looks like a cigarette and delivers cigarette-like boli of nicotine, but does not deliver the tar and carbon monoxide, which causes the, the vast majority of smoking-related disease. The development and promotion of such a product and the eventual replacement of tobacco could have massive beneficial health implications. I want to get it out. I want to see it. 
hold it, put it in my mouth. I want to see how great it tastes. If you're going to vape, vape with VIP. Do you want to see it? Get <laughs> it out, if you like. You have to feel it, hold it, put it in your mouth, and see how great it tastes. Just to make you all wake up this morning. <laughs> that is an ad that is not from the, from us. It's from the UK, but it's one of my favorites. So this is a vaping pen. You can take it out. You can take it apart. Don't put it in your mouth. Um, it is not charged. It has never had nicotine in it, so you will not spill anything if you open it up and play with it. But uh, I'll circulate that. Um, this is an e-hookah. And again, you can take it out. You can play with it. You can actually light this one up um, if you, until you suck through it. Nothing comes out, so we're not actually violating our own rules uh, in the institution that there is no vape allowed. When you actuate it, you can smell it, but it's, it's, there's very little stuff coming out. This is um, minty grape, and I'll let you pass those around. Uh, my other e-cigs I've actually given away for people to use. Um, uh, whenever I get the good ones, uh, and I have individuals who are interested in trying them, I'm more than happy to give them away because, um, as you will hear through my comments, I think there's promise here. There's significant peril, but there's promise. And there, this, this does show some interesting um, trends for use. So what the heck is an e-cigarette? It, I'll let you play with that. They're all basically on the same principle. So they all have a battery of some sort. They're all rechargeable. The battery is actually a really critical element here, because as we all know, batteries start off with lots of charge, and then they degrade. And depending on how good the battery is, they can degrade pretty quickly. So that can really dramatically alter what's going on in the e-cigarette and how hot it gets. And the heat, as you'll learn in a moment, makes a big difference in how these things vaporize. So there is your rechargeable battery. This is, a, there's usually a vacuum, there's always a vacuum, that actuates a pump that will pull, uh, the, the, that will allow you to get the air through. This is the business end that you actually puff through. And then there's a cartridge that holds nicotine, and it can be in any kind of a humectant. The stuff that you see pluming out is a humectant, and it can be propylene glycol, it can be vegetable glycerin, it can be PEG. It's some, some sort of a chemical to allow the nicotine to be carried into your lungs and to give that satisfying look. And it also has a mouthfeel that is what people are looking for who are smokers. Uh, so that's the general gist of all electronic vaping devices. Throughout my talk, whenever I say e-cigarette or vaping device, I'm basically talking about the same thing. But if I say vaping device and e-cigarette every time, we'll be here till 10 o'clock. So, uh, so this is the general principle. And um, we'll talk a bit more. So I went over to my friends at Undone. Undone is um, in Lebanon. Um, and uh, they're, they're uh, I was on the page in the newspaper with them as a count point, counterpoint, but I didn't make them look bad. And so when I called them and said, hi, I'm Stutansky, I'd like to come down and take some pictures of your e-cigarettes, they were gracious, welcoming, and wonderful. And I actually had a really good afternoon with them, talking with some of the customers, talking with the people who work there, and, and they let me take a lot of pictures. So the one that you guys are looking at is probably most like this one. That was about $35. This is a regular cigarette. That's an American spirit. This is their own label of a generation one electronic cigarette, and I'll explain what that means. Um, and this is the newest and coolest. This is called Views, and I'll talk a bit about that as well. This is an electronic cigar, um, and this is a big daddy. Um, you can't tell that this was like just hot, but when you go into Undone, they're vaping constantly. And so he actually put this down, like it was still like spewing. Um, so those are what, there's a lot of variety. And the minty grape uh, hookah is what you're looking at right there. So there's a tremendous amount of variety. And these are very hackable. And and uh, I'll talk a little bit about that as we were talking about the battery. Um, people take these apart and they change them to suit their needs if you've got a power user for electronic cigarettes. It's not just picking up a blue. Some people are really manipulating these in pretty substantial ways. And hopefully I'll explain that clearly. So first generation, uh, really bad battery life. You plugged them in, you got three puffs, and it basically stopped working very well. If it doesn't vaporize to a high enough temperature, you get great big droplets with nicotine. And great big droplets of nicotine deposit in your oropharynx. You get a little bit of venous absorption, but you don't get much of a kick. So the first generation were pretty disappointing. And um, when you talk to people who are vaporizers or people who are using e-cigs, they will talk with great disdain of these first generation and the 
this, the new kind of newer second generation of which blue is one. Um, the one that you're floating around is, is uh, second generation. It's got a better battery. Battery lasts longer. Um, some of them are rechargeable. The one, the one that's colored that's coming around is completely disposable. You can't recharge that. They're lithium ion battery, um, but really no quality control. I can't even say poor, there's none. So if you buy 10 cigarettes, electronic cigarettes that are of the same brand, they all may function differently. The batteries may all last differently. The temperatures they get to may be different. What's inside may be different. The studies that the CDC has done has shown that the quality control, even within packs of the same things, can vary dramatically in how much nicotine is delivered. So when someone says they use an e-cigarette, your mileage may vary. What what I use versus what Steve Chapman uses versus <laughs> what <laughs> what anyone uses. Everyone's experience is going to be different. So it's, it makes it very challenging to do any standardization. So then we have the third generation, and these are slick. So they're used in Mark 10 are these brand new ones, and they are processor controlled. They've got a computer in every single one of them. So that the puff topography, which is when you inhale, how much you get how much, what size the vapor droplets are, all of that is incredibly consistent because there's a computer chip in every single one. These things started off fairly expensive, now they're about 10 bucks, uh, and they are super slick. And there's a patent application in that we were able to look at that shows these things hooked up to a computer where you can actually, potentially in the future, train it to how you puff. So there's some really exciting and interesting, maybe concerning things that can go on with these, but they can be highly customized. And I think that actually is a benefit because if we can tune these, and I, I know they're tunable, perhaps they can have a more effective role in cessation by actually delivering what the smoker is looking for with a good bolus of nicotine without most of the other stuff. So there's chemosensory effects with these. So it's the mouthfeel I was talking about. What is it? What's the vapor feel like in your mouth? What are the other flavors that are in there? Is it menthol? Is it cherry? All of that changes your experience with an electronic cigarette. There may be improved deposition in the alveoli for a arterial deposition and absorption. If something is, goes to your arterial system, it goes to your brain much faster. We all know that. That's why people smoke cigarettes, because you're basically freebasing nicotine. Hits your brain really fast. All the other ways of getting nicotine right now, other than lighting it on fire, have a slower absorption because it's venous. So if we're getting to these really small droplet sizes, think about what our goals are with our inhalers, then and things getting deeper in your lungs, that may be more effective. So this is a quickly moving story, and I'll be excited to talk to you guys next year about the fourth generation, because I'm sure these things are going to continue to evolve. E-hookah and vapor pens in general have all gone through the same evolution, um, so I won't go any further with that. Everyone still awake? Awesome. Okay, I love this case. This is it. This is it. Undone. This is one of the clerks. iPhone case modded as a vaporizing pen. She said, well, I never put down my phone, so this works really well. <laughs> so what are the constituents of e-juice? Humectin, as I talked about, plus or minus nicotine. You can actually get vaping pens that have no nicotine at all. And the intent for people who want to use them for cessation is to start high and gradually titrate down until you're using something with no nicotine. Back to that quality issue, if something is labeled that it's going to be 20 milligrams of, of nicotine per milliliter, it may have 20, it may have 30, it may have four, it may have none. So until our quality control is there, I can't actually vouch for any of these concentrations that are even listed on these things. Um, but we'll talk about that in a moment. And then the flavoring, as I mentioned. So propylene glycol is generally recognized as safe. It's acceptable in, for, for use in flavorings, drugs, cosmetics, as a direct food additive. Propylene glycol is actually in many of the inhalers that we use for medical reasons as well. It's, it's part of the humectant and in, uh, in addition with the propellant. There are actually very few human studies about its inhalation, um, but it's been used as a, as a tobacco additive historically. So we've actually got a fair amount of experience with it as a product. It can cause respiratory and eye irritation, and the MSDS, which is the materials data sheet from Dow, says inhalation mist should be avoided. Um, <laughs> EPA, when you look on their website, cites a single rat study from 1947 uh, about their inhalation effects. Um, and then, you know, there's, I, when I, write anything or I'm quoted, I get beaten up by all sorts of people in the, who writes in the comment sections below articles. Uh, and um, I got 
beat up a little bit about something I said about electronic cigarettes and it got quoted. Um, and uh, I was able to come back to that quote really quickly because they said, oh, there's years and years of experience with this. Altria published a study and they said, we're about to do the first in man study. They can't say that and have it published unless it's true. So they, this was in 2011. So we really have very few studies in humans about um, propylene glycol. And it's really important that we know that. So this vegetable glycerin also generally recognized as safe. However, when heated and vaporized, it can form acrylene, acrylene um, which is not good for your respiratory tree and causes significant irritation and can lead to asthma attacks. And for all of these, we don't know what happens when you vape, vape from these for 10 years, five years, 20 years. We have no long-term effects when you're using this kind of a volume. The volume of humectant in these e-juices is vastly higher than it is as a humectant in the tobacco products. So we really have very little long-term studies on this. So this study came out just last week. Actually, I think it's still in press. This is an advanced electronic copy. And what this is showing is that there's significant differences in the carbonyl compounds that come off of these when you change the voltage. So I mentioned these can be hacked. There's some that actually have a dial right on them so you can customize the amount of electricity going to that uh, to, the, to the vaporizer. So if you change the battery output, what comes off of it is very different. You have increasing amounts of formaldehyde, acetaldehyde, and acetone the higher voltage you get. This is because of thermal degradation and decomposition of the propylene glycol and the vegetable glycerin. We already know that those are chemically sensitive to heat. So if you crank up the heat really high, and these can go very, very hot. Um, and a matter of fact, as a, as a safety note, that is not charged on purpose. And there's a ring on that because you can actually have it turn on in your pocket. Um, and people have been burned. And uh, it has caused fires because they get really, really hot. Um, so the hotter it gets, the more likely we are to thermally degrade um, the compounds that are in there and actually breathe in stuff that we don't want to breathe in. These are things that are in tobacco cigarettes. We, those are things that are known to be carcinogenic and not good for us. So not completely benign. And I give you a case report. Jim Sargent found this for us. This is a case of a person who came in with pneumonia and they traced it back. They decided it was due to um, exogenous, she had an exogenous lipoid pneumonia with was due to recurrent exposure to glycerin-based oils in her e-cigarette nicotine vapor. So this was the first case of um, a pneumonia related to an electronic cigarette. More probably will come. So what's the big deal with nicotine? Actually, nicotine has some very good features and it's got some bad ones, which we'll talk about. Very complicated pharmacodynamics, depending on whether you breathe it in, whether it's on your skin, whether you drink it, and at low doses, it's got some really good effects, and at high doses, it has bad ones. The most common effect that we're all really well aware of is that you get addicted to it super quickly, and then you want more, and you become habituated, and you need even more, and people get addicted and have lifelong addiction to nicotine. But what's good about it is that it makes you feel good it stimulates memory and alertness. People who use tobacco often use it to kind of wake them up in the morning. Uh, one of my colleagues from California says it's the ultimate battle drug. There's no hallucinations. You don't become high. You become more alert. You're easy to, to stay awake. Um, and those are good things on the battlefield, for example. Many people feel a sense of well-being. So when you take that away, they feel down. They feel depressed. Anhedonia. It decreases the appetite, so some people think it's good for weight control. Indeed, a lot of people do put on pounds after they give up elect uh, sorry, regular cigarettes. When you look at from the start time of people smoking, it doesn't actually decrease weight. So we should make sure we tell people that it doesn't help you uh, lose weight up front. And when you stop, it helps you gain weight. One of those delayed gratification things, though, that won't work very well. Um, it increases intestinal activity, increases saliva and phlegm, increases your heartbeat by 10 or 20 beats per minute, and increases your blood pressure by 5 to 10 milligrams, uh, millimeters per mercury. So how about overdose? Nausea, vomiting, salivation, abdominal pain, pallor, sweating, hypertension, tachycardia, ataxia, and death. So overdose can be a really big deal, and people have died from, from overdose of, of nicotine, mostly from pesticide uh, contact, pesticide injection, uh, ingestion. Um, there have been several case reports of suicide by nicotine. Interestingly, and you'll learn about this more, it was by using the patch. There's much better dermal absorption than there is bioavailability when you drink it. So if you put a whole mess of patches on or if you get it all over your skin, you'll die faster. 
Um, surprisingly few, few deaths from the nicotine e-juice uh, right now because there's a lot of e-juice around, and I'll show you lots of pictures of that. Um, there, there was one case that was reported in the press in Israel. I tried to find actual data about that if it had ever been published as a case report, and um, we can't find that. We've been, we've had lots of uh, hospitalizations, and I'll show you lots of calls to Poison Control Center. Um, but uh, I'm a, I fear it's only a matter of time. So the dose makes the poison. So as I mentioned, it is more bioavailable if you put it on your skin than if you drink it. It's about 20% bioavailable if you drink it. The lethal dose in rats for, for ingest, ingestion by mouth is 50 milligrams per kilogram. And for mice, it's three milligrams per kilogram. So really big differences depend on the individual metabolism of the host. And in humans, it's stated that 60 milligrams will kill an average-sized adult. That's very historic data, and, and this next couple sentences explain that that seems to be wrong. Um, so that would say state that at 0.8 makes per kg that will will kill you, making it more toxic than cyanide. But there's lots of literature reports that show that much much higher doses are tolerated, particularly for people who are not nicotine naive. So there appears to be a much broader range of toxicity. And what the lethal dose 50 is, if you guys all remember from med school, where what's the dose that will kill about half the people who are exposed to it? So the LD50. So it's, it sounds like it should be more like six and a half to 13 mg per kg for the LD50. Uh, and so I'm gonna talk about both of these doses um, in a minute. Um, so this is undone again, not, and, and truly, they were, they were awesome. I'm not bashing them at all. Um, this is the back shelf. And every single one of these are e-juice refills. And I'll direct you some flavors, sweet watermelon. Um, we've got sweet and sour. We've got uh, cigar, um, kiwi, strawberry, raspberry. You get the idea. I'll show you lots more pictures. But this is how they mix them up. And this is a, these are 12-ounce little ketchup bottle things. Um, and so there's quite a lot of nicotine in each of those, if we believe the labeling. And I'm going to assume, for the sake of argument, that the labeling like, is correct. So you get a high concentration for someone who's a pretty high smoker. Um, they might get a 36 per milliliter concentration. And the, the little ones, when they give it to you, they don't give you a 12-ounce bottle. They give you a little one. They give you like a 10 mil dropper to refill the solutions if you're, if you're going to use the vaping pen that's circulating. So if there's a 10 mil dropper, there's 360 milligrams of nicotine in that dropper. That's the equivalent of about 360 cigarettes because an average cigarette contains about a milligram, slightly less now, of nicotine. So it's good for about 360, 390 um, cigarettes. If the conventional idea for an adult is 60 milligrams is death, then that little 10 mil dropper bottle is going to kill potentially six people. If we think of, in with the new math, it could still kill an adult because even with the, with the higher concentration. But let's look at my three-year-old. Um, I, I used a weight from early this summer, which is 13 kilos at that point. Um, if we use the math that 0.8 makes per kilogram in a killer, she only needs to have a third of a milliliter. <coughs> Sobering. If we use the new math, she needs between a half a teaspoon and a teaspoon. And going back to this previous, they're pretty. They smell good. They taste awful. But they, they're pretty and they smell good. So this is attractive and concerning. Um, 36 mg per mil is, is a, a high dose. You can actually get it even higher than that, high concentration. 18 mg per mil is more standard. But still, a 10 mil, uh, mil dropper bottle still has enough to cause significant Ill illness, poisoning, and possibly death. But to put it in perspective, just talk about Tylenol, 160 mg per mil is uh, a teaspoon, a four ounce bottle could also off my darling daughter. Not that I want to talk about killing my daughter, but just from perspective, we're pediatricians. Okay, so poison control calls, as I mentioned, the number of poison control calls has been increasing dramatically looking over the past four years. From September 2010, there were none. And then in February of this year, there were 215. In absolute numbers, that's not a lot of calls. It really isn't. We get more calls about the little packets for Tide, the little things you throw in, or the, the little packets that you put in the dishwasher. Those are far more commonly ingested, but these aren't in as many homes. So the, what I'm most concerned about is the slope and my thing's a little lame, but the slope is what's concerning. Where is this gonna go as these become more common and as these are in more homes with kids? The, de the demographic of a smoker right now is those with kids. They're, they tend to be young people, people who are using electronic cigarettes. This is, these are in people's homes, so it is an area of concern. So advocacy and action in June, um, as, as Kathy alluded to, there was a, a Senate 
Commerce Committee uh, hearing on aggressive e-cigarette marketing and um, its potential consequences for kids. And um, as with my hat on as the chair of the AP Tobacco Consortium, I was asked to testify. And I had the opportunity to directly ask Senator Nelson during questioning to help the AAP protect kids and, and use a Consumer Product Safety Commission safe packaging. When the, when, C, when the Computer Consumer Product Safety Commission was started and they did the child safe packaging, tobacco products were excluded. So no matter what you call these products, whether these, these are tobacco products or not, they would not be required to have child safe packaging. And right now they're not. So um, this was awesome. This was a huge win. Senator Nelson quickly responded and introduced a bill July 10th um, with 10 other senators that grants the CPSC um, the authority to require <coughs> child-proof containers for any consumer packaging. So anything that gets sold over the counter or over the internet has to have child safe packaging. Really narrow bill, doesn't talk about vaping pens, doesn't talk about e-cigarettes. Only talks about the packaging for the EQs. So an easy thing to to uh, advocate. Um, it was a completely Democrat um, signed bill with the help of Frank McDougal from here and my colleagues at the AAP Washington office, we were able to flip Senator Ayotte. This was a huge win because she's a Republican, so it's now a bipartisan bill. That is amazing. Um, and two days later, it passed the committee without amendment. Huge win. Like this is so awesome, and I'm a nerd, so I think this is really awesome. But this is a really cool thing, and and if any of you guys have any family members that live in, we don't have any in New England, so because we're all Democrat um, for House uh, in New Hampshire and Vermont, but if you have any family that live in a Republican district at the House, please call them and tell them this is important, this is narrow, this is simple, this is a no-brainer. This is just protecting kids. Adds like three cents per package, easy. So please, uh, please, Call your, call your friends and relatives, um, because this will go to the full Senate, and then it will go to the House after the elections. So a job for you all. Mm -hmm. Going to send out emails when it's happening, so expect them. <laughs> all right, so how much nicotine do you get per puff? Um, this, was a, this is a pretty common question. As we said, different bioavailability, whether you're puffing it or putting it on your skin or drinking it, and your mileage may vary, because depending on that voltage, depending on how hard you suck, how fresh the battery is, what you get is going to be totally different and the concentration, and whether we believe the concentration because of the quality control. Um, as we mentioned, large droplets, if the battery's dying and the droplets being delivered are big, you're gonna have a really small uh, absorption because it's gonna be in your oropharynx, and you're not gonna have a lot of bang for your buck, and you may not think they work very well. If it's a fresh battery, highly charged, high concentration, you're gonna get a powerful hit. And I can tell you, I've tried these things, and there's a huge variability. That little purple, that little one that's going around has a low concentration, and it feels like sucking candy. It feels like nothing. The views <laughs> makes you buzz really fast. Um, it's it's pretty, pretty potent stuff. It, it, it's potent stuff. So a 2013 study looking at a range of different products found that you get somewhere between zero, and 35 micrograms per puff. So if we assume that 35 micrograms, which is the upper end, um, would be typical, maybe it's not, but let's just make some assumptions. You need about 30 puffs in order to deliver the nicotine from a single cigarette. So 30 puffs for a cigarette, okay. Um, and that's because only part of the nicotine is, very, is, is vaporized and uh, delivered to your lungs, as we talked about. Just wanna point out the Puff topography, I, t I mentioned that word, is kind of how people puff. Um, puff duration for smoke for these vapors was um, two seconds plus or minus one. So some, you know, some people smoke uh, puff quick, some people puff longer. Puff volume was 70 milliliters plus or minus 70. So <laughs> you can take a big volume, so that's like three ounces of smoke or an ounce of, or two ounces, sorry, two ounces of smoke versus um, five ounces of smoke. So it's really a huge variable for how much volume you get. And people puff for varying durations. Um, obviously, if you're puffing a bigger volume, you should get more nicotine. But again, your mileage may vary. So, so ads, can't go without ads. What else is in e-juice? Flavorings, 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 flavorings. Show you in a second. And chemosensory agents, they add things that are, they are called flavorings, but are actually things to modify your experience. Um, menthol, for example, actually does modify your experience of smoking, same thing with, with um, vaping. So if they add a minty thing or a menthol thing, plus another flavoring, that will change the mouthfeel and it'll change how it works. 
Um, and we know very, very little about all the flavorings. One of them are safe, one of them are not safe. If you wanna make your own e-juice, you can go online and find instructions. If you're interested, I'll show you the websites. Um, and they, they warn you away from certain flavors because they're not good for you. So it's well known that there's certain things that aren't good. It's not a good idea to take nicotine and add in essential oils and puff that. Just saying. Um, <laughs> I have access to nicotine. I, it's, it's in the chemistry department, and it's, it's over in Joe Belberna's lab. So I could make up my own e-juice, e and I like lavender. So maybe, maybe I could make lavender. <laughs> Would not be a good idea. Other things you can vape, and this is really important. You can vape anything. And we'll talk about that in a second. But wax, hash, cannabis, oils, whole tobacco, herbs, marijuana, etc. Here's more flavors. Party, purple party animals. <laughs> cream caramel, dark side of the moon, orange creamsicle, Georgia gold. I like this one. Um, these, are, these are also good. Peach pancake. Um, you can actually get pancake and maple syrup. Mix them together. Breakfast. <laughs> um, here's just more flavors. And you can actually get them that are organic. I'm not sure what they are. But there's a whole wall of organic e-juice. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I will also point out that I showed you the, the, the ketchup bottles full of all the e-juice. Um, the kids behind the counter, I can say they're kids now because I'm over 40. Um, <laughs> the kids behind the counter do not use gloves. They do not use goggles. They do not use any personal protective stuff. And the nicotine is in jugs on the floor, on the shelf, and they just mix whatever flavors you like. And when I asked them, what does the 36 mean? Because they're not marked 36, they're, they're all marked milligrams, not per what? So not, no concentration. So I said, well, what does that mean? I know already, but what does that mean? And um, one of the people who was mixing them up said, well, that's per puff. <laughs> no, actually, it's, it's a concentration. It's per milliliter. And he said, well, I get a lot. I said, okay, that's great. But they don't actually know the chemistry behind it. So um, not that the average consumer would need to know, but um, it was concerning to me that they didn't know what would happen if they mix an 18 and a 24. Um, they, they did not know the kind of chemistry because they're not chemists. Another ad, very sexy, vanilla vixen, double green apple, son of a peach. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to health harms. Everyone's laughing, so we're still awake. This is good. Relative to smoked tobacco, there is no question in my mind, and in the literature, this is robustly supported. There is a lot less risk with electronic cigarettes. It's just not zero. It's not harmless water vapor, and so we just need to be aware of that. If our comparison is cigarettes, it's lots better. If our comparison is air, no cigarettes at all, no electronic cigarettes, or nicotine replacement therapy, it's more. So that's, that's the base I want you to, to think about. There's no tar. There's, you're, you're missing out on all the other combustion things that are in a regular traditional cigarette, which causes the overwhelming majority of disease. Nicotine does not cause cancer. If you already have cancer, it might help it grow a little bit, but it does not cause cancer. And that's really important and something that, is, that the public doesn't all know. Um, nicotine has been relatively demonized as kind of the bad guy, and it is because it makes us smoke cigarettes, but as a drug itself, other than the fact it's got some pretty high toxicity, we know how it works. And there, there's actually a lot of studies that are going on trying to figure out how to use nicotine's properties for memory uh, and, and other aspects. They're looking at it for um, Alzheimer's, for Parkinson's, for several other different, um, different diseases. Um, and as I mentioned, with respect to harms, without quality control, can't really say a whole lot because adulterated products have been found. Um, in one study the CDC did, they found Cialis. <laughs> okay, for those of you who don't know what Cialis is, that's an erectile dysfunction drug. They found Cialis in, in electronic cigarette uh, juice. I don't know what that does for you. Okay. They've also found a weight loss drug. I don't know if that works for you either. Could have that just been a contaminant from, from a previous batch of someone making something else? Sure. Uh, but these things are contaminated with other drugs, and that's been found um, objectively by our colleagues at, at the CDC when they're looking at these things. Um, there has been some evidence that vaping of any kind, whether it is no nicotine or 18 milligrams of nicotine or 36 milligrams of nicotine, decreases your exhaled um, NO, ex exhaled nitric oxide. So it does change your lung function, irrespective of what else is in it, whether it's flavoring or not. It's probably to do with the hemectin. <coughs> um, and that study, again, came out just last week. I could show you studies for hours, but um, we don't have time. 
as I mentioned, the safety of many of these things is unknown, particularly with the flavoring. We don't know what happens when you um, vaporize and breathe in many of these flavors. Um, they've just not been studied. And one of the big concerns is, are we resuming people's nicotine addiction for people who quit smoking 10 years ago and think this is okay? Are we creating new nicotine addiction and nicotine naive? Adolescents are particularly susceptible to the effect of nicotine. The adult brain does not act the same way. When we look at adult brains in animal models and you give them nicotine and you slice and dice them, they don't have nearly as many receptors present as those adolescent brains that have been exposed to the same amount of nicotine. The effects happen quickly and they appear to be very long standing. And there appears to be remodeling that happens in the brain, the adolescent brain, um, that shows signs of harm long term in the animals. We're not dissecting human <laughs> adolescent brains, although I have a 13 year old, I think I can volunteer for that. Um, uh, no, not really. I do love him. <laughs> um, but uh, we're not dissecting humans, but, but the animal studies are suggestive that there's, there's some stuff that's going on in the adolescent brain. And we do know that you can feel like you need, cig need cigarettes or need nicotine after just a very few doses. So if we've got a nicotine-naive brain and we're giving them vaporized nicotine, where are they going to go? And unfortunately, we don't know yet. All of the studies we have with adolescents are cross-sectional. So I will show you in the next few slides how much it's increasing, but we don't know what the trajectory is. Do they start off with e-cigarettes and go higher on e-cigarettes? Do they start off with e-cigarettes and graduate to combusted tobacco? We don't know. And this is a huge area of concern because we do not want people to turn to combusted tobacco because that's where all the morbidity and mortality lies. Um, as I said, it also the, another huge problem with these cigarettes is uh, that people who think they're using them for cessation maintain their combusted tobacco use, and they're using both at the same time, dual use. And if those people would have otherwise quit tobacco completely and were maintaining their, their combusted tobacco use, that's a problem from a public health standpoint, because we really need people to be completely off of their combusted tobacco in order to reduce the health harms to as low as humanly possible. As I mentioned, as of right now, they're unregulated. The FDA has issued their deeming document, which basically says they're going to assert authority over electronic cigarettes. That came out, public comment ended in August. We haven't heard back. There may be a second comment period. What this basically is, is they say they're going to make a new rule, and people have the opportunity to complain about that or support it. Um, Jim Sargent and I submitted comments. Um, the AAP submitted comments basically supporting regulation of, of e-cigarettes. Um, as I mentioned, no yet. Consumer Product Safety Commission oversight. Anyone can sell. I can go down, mix up a batch right here, share it with y'all. Um, and most of the market still comes from China, and there are significant quality control issues for, for the products that come from China. Gross, many of the products that have been tested have tested positive for E. coli. <laughs> Just had to show you this one. Those are all vape pens, <coughs> like that. All right, other public health harms. Secondhand vapor is not just water vapor. I think I've impressed that upon you enough. Um, this, this, uh, this has been confirmed now in three different studies. So I've only listed two here. There was another one that came out this week that confirms this as well. Um, it's. You get nicotine off of these, which I'll show you in the next slide, plus fine particles of similar size to that of cigarettes and similar concentration of fine particles. So there's significant respiratory irritation with e-cigarette use and with secondhand vapor from e-cigarettes. If you walk into a vape shop and you've got and you're sensitive to particulates, which many kids with asthma are, many kids aren't, many people are in general, you'll start to feel the air is thick and you'll start to feel like you need to cough because there's, there's a lot of particulates. And when you look here, um, there's, this is a real, a real cigarette. This is what particulates come off of a real cigarette. And this is what's in a low nicotine cigarette, e-cigarette. And this is what's in a high nicotine e-cigarette. And you see that the, um, the peak is very similar to what you get for a conventional cigarette. So particulates are pretty, pretty similar. And then the nicotine. Um, if any of you have ever heard me give my third hand smoke talk, um, you've heard me say that nicotine likes to play with other chemicals. Nicotine is a volatile compound in its gas phase, and it loves to get together on surfaces with other things in the room. Nitri nitric oxide, which is in most of our homes, if we use anything that combusts, so if we have a gas stove or a pellet stove or a um, uh, <laughs> wood-burning stove, we've got nitric oxide in our, our homes. Um, and it likes to combine with that, and it makes um, tobacco-specific nitrosamines. Those are carcinogenic. So nicotine alone mixes with other stuff and makes carcinogens. 
Nicotine and ozone, which again is pretty ubiquitous, create ultrafine particles that can go deep into our lungs. So all of this chemistry happens on any surface. So they just did this, this again, this stuff is really fresh. This wasn't last week or week before, so these things are really fresh. They looked at how much nicotine gets deposited on surfaces in a space into which they vape, and they found that there's significant amounts of nicotine that go onto those surfaces after vaping occurs. So um, <coughs> we are getting nicotine in a space after people are vaping, and that has the health concerns for chemistry, making other things. And my favorite, least favorite, one of the things I'm most passionate about is the fact that, that we're renormalizing the image of smoking. We've done an awesome job making cigarette smoking not be sexy anymore. There's no more advertising on television. We've gotten it mostly out of movies. We're still working on that. Um, advertising for, for uh, smoking cigarettes, regular tobacco cigarettes, is boring. You don't see people smoking. You don't see plumes of smoke anymore. Most of it's just words. So we've really gotten it less glamorous. But now we've got e-cigarette advertising. It could be on TV, and the actors and actresses are sexy, and it's very um, freedom-oriented, and I'll show you some ads, and you'll, you'll get the gist. You cannot tell at a distance if someone's vaping or if they're smoking a cigarette. If you can't see the little glow on the tip, you don't know what they're using. So we're renormalizing the image of people smoking because people are vaping more often, and they're vaping in places where traditionally they can't smoke cigarettes. All the rules are not standard yet. So you're, we're seeing images of people doing smoking behavior, and kids can see it, and it looks kind of sexy, which I'll show you in a second. Um, and we talked about the advertising on television. So here is an ad that was in Sports Illustrated for Blue. Um, and with apologies, I cannot not show you a, a moment of the Jenny McCarthy ad, even though she's not my favorite you know, person. I love being single, but here's what I don't love. A kiss that tastes like an ashtray. Blech. I'm Jenny McCarthy, and I finally found a smarter alternative to cigarettes. Blue e-cigs. Blue satisfies me. I get to have a blue without the guilt because there's only vapor, not tobacco smoke. That means no ash, no odor, which also means that I've got the stink eye from others. Also, it doesn't... That's about all I can do for her. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this ad, though, this is a great ad. To the land of the demographic was that directed? <laughs> Anyone? Bueller? <laughs> um, so good ads. So, so why, are, why are people using e-cigarettes, vape pens, and hookah? Curiosity, reduction of other tobacco products, cessation, stealth. If you're vaping something that is not legal, you can't smell it. My friends in Colorado assure me you cannot smell it. Um, and perception of a safer product. If you go out on the street and you ask, people say, well, of course, they're a lot safer. And they are a lot safer. They're just not safe. So there's a, there's a disconnect because there's a lot of nuance, which hopefully I've, I've been telegraphing to you. This is not a simple story. Um, when people ask me what I think about e-cigarettes, I'm like, hmm. Got a minute? Because <laughs> it's complicated. And social acceptance. As Jenny McCarthy told us, she can smoke in the bar, and no one gives her the stink eye. Um, so. Vaping other things, um, this is the triad. This is a, um, a, you can use it for vaping tobacco and you can also use it for vaping um, herb, which is code for pot. Uh, so this is, uh, this is available over the internet uh, and um, this is a fairly popular one. This one though is the bomb from what I've been told. This is Plume, this started off in San Francisco and this is also for, for vaping herb. <laughs> uh, and if you go online and you read any, any um, blogs, people are blogging about this product, um, there's no smell at all. This is the iTunes version of a marijuana um, device, uh, and um, people are passionately in love with this particular device. There's plume, there's plume packs, um, and no, you cannot buy it over the internet right now because it's sold out. Um, and this is an image from my colleague, uh, Karen Wilson, who is the section chief of hospitalist medicine at Denver Children's. Um, and this is a marijuana vaporizer. What's it look like, folks? You think a kid might, miss, miss, might, might think this might look like a albuterol inhaler? 
Um, yeah, it looks a little different on the business end, but um, that gives me significant pause. Okay, so, uh, oh, and, and the other comment I wanted to make, I, I, someone sent me a note just day before yesterday. People are vaping other things as well in these. There's a, there's a cluster of kids going to the hospital with palpitations, um, decreased sensorium from vaping something called cloud, cloud nine. I don't know what that is. Um, it, there's been a cluster, I believe it was in San Diego, California someplace. Uh, it was in, on NBC News. So there are, kids are vaping other things. We recently had the stuff with Scooby Snacks. You guys all saw the Spice stuff that was a few weeks back. K2, Spice are all the names. People can vaporize those things. That would be a horrible idea as well. So um, people can put anything in these, in these devices and that is something we should be aware of. So what's the prevalence of this? Um, we don't really know because we didn't ask the right question. If we ask kids if they use an e-cigarette, they may say no because they don't consider it an e-cigarette. They're using a vape pen for tricks. They're using a vape pen for the flavor. Um, they're not a smoker. They don't want to be associated with e-cigarettes. So our data is not very good. However, the National Youth Tobacco Survey from 2011-2012 um, found that there's been a significant increase in the prevalence overall of kids ever trying and current use of e-cigarettes. In 2012, it was uh, 1.78 million kids who'd ever tried an e-cigarette. Um, and 20% of middle school kids and 7% of high school kids who'd ever tried an e-cigarette had never tried a combusted tobacco product. So there's kids who have never, who are completely nicotine naive trying these products. Um, the, the Utah story, the Utah story is basically that the e-cigarettes, this is current use of, um, so past 30 days, and this is 2013 data compared to 2012 data for adults. Only 2% of adults in Utah were using e-cigarettes, um, but 8% of high school seniors were using them in the past month. And when you look at the number of kids who were using combusted tobacco, 4% compared to almost 6% of e-cigarettes. So we've got more kids smoking, using e-cigarettes than we do Combusted cigarettes, that same story bears out and why the state is not yet published, my, my friend Tom Wills. 29% of the kids in Hawaii had, that have been surveyed had ever tried e-cigarettes. 18% were past month users. 18% had ever used marijuana. I'll leave you with that. This is coming, folks. And data from, the, again, this is, this is a, a, this was a submitted electron, an electronic before publication again this month, 6% um, of youth in all grades, they did not split out middle school to high school like all the other stuff, so I can't really compare directly, but 6% of all 6 to 12 graders had ever tried e-cigarettes, 20% um, of ever cigarette users, and 1% um, of never smokers. Current e-cigarette use was 7% of ever cigarette and 0.3 of never cigarette, and the weighted estimates are that we went from about 80,000 users, ever users of never cigarette users from 2011 to a quarter of a million. So we've got significant uptake. Again, these are all cross-sectional. We don't know where these kids are going. Will they try it once this month and never try it again? We don't know. We'll find out. This is hot off the press. Well, 2014 data, so brand spanking new. And amongst all youth that ever used, they got 39% of 18 to 21 year olds were using, had ever used e-cigarettes um, and um, amongst current cigarette smokers was 76%. So depending on where you look for your data, you get markedly different answers, but the real issue here is that it's going up. And among adults, let's have one small nod to them. 2011 data, I didn't actually bother looking for more fresh data. About 21% of current cigarette users have tried e-cigarettes. So is there evidence that it works to quit? Is there evidence for dual yes use? Yes and yes. And this is every single week there's something new. Uh, so I'll give you a couple of the highlights. And like, if you're interested in more, I can give you more. This is a 2013, late 2013 Lancet paper comparing e-cigarette use uh, and um, nicotine patch for cessation. And what they found at one month is that it was looking pretty good. We've got a significant p-value. We've got uh, a, a bunch of people that were able to be abstinent. 23% of the e-cigarette users were able to be abstinent compared to 16%. But looking down here, by six months, it was a wash. It was no longer significant. So it wasn't really helping people to quit long-term. But they did find some cool stuff. They found that at six months, uh, people who were using the e-cigarette were actually smoking fewer cigarettes than people who had used the patch. So it was helping them to cut down on their combusted tobacco use 
with more cigarettes reduced than in, in the patch. So their, bo their bottom line for this paper was that there wasn't really enough power to detect, detect a lot of differences between patch and e-cigarette, but it was looking promising and people really liked it. 88% of the e-cigarette users would recommend them to a friend compared to only 56% in the patch use. So people were liking the way it mimics um, traditional tobacco use. The longer you use electronic cigarettes, actually, in another study, so if you go fat farther than six months, the longer you use it, the more likely you are to become a quitter. And so that this is another tantalizing, hasn't been reproduced. We need more data, but tantalizing. And maybe, maybe that's good. The overall number of cigarettes that they're using um, per day decrease. This is traditional cigarettes per day, um, decreased pretty dramatically. Uh, and then eventually we've got, this actually went down to zero for some people. You can see with the very tail there. <clears throat> so some cause for maybe optimism. And the best evidence for cessation yet is a study that came out of the UK just this past year. It is a prospective study where they basically called people on the phone and said and found out about people's tobacco use. And for those that had quit, they said, what did you use most recently to quit? And these were unassisted quit. They didn't ask their doctor for help. They didn't ask their pharmacist for help. They did this on their own, which is what the overwhelming majority of smokers do. They want to do it by themselves. They want to do it on their own. So this is real world in the wild. And what they found is that people who were using the e-cigarette were more likely to quit and, and self-report um, completely than people who used NRT, over-the-counter or no aid at all. And the um, odds ratio there was 1.63. So they were 63% more likely to be non-smokers than those who'd use either NRT or nothing at all. Needs to be reproduced, tantalizing, optimistic, story's not done. When you look at all of the studies on balance amongst those who are trying to quit and not trying to quit, it looks like it's not helping people quit when we look at everyone. But when you've got, so you have to look at motivation, what people are using them for. So this story is still being written as we speak. Um, and again, if I come back next year, I'll probably have more data. So what happens now? Well, we know that the FDA is going to exert its jurisdiction. Uh, we'll hopefully have improved quality control and production standards. And it's expected that the market's going to continue to explode. So I'm just going to show you the numbers. This is 2013. Um, Altria is who makes Mark 10, which is a brand new product that just started in 2013 in December. Blue, which you've all seen, that's got the sexy Sports Illustrated ad. Um, that was a product that existed before, was purchased by Lorillard in 2012. And then Views is the Reynolds product, um, and that was launched in 2013 in test markets and has now gone national. Supposedly, I can get views in New Hampshire now, but I haven't seen it. I asked the gas station. They said it's coming in October, so hopefully we'll be able to get it. But when you look at the, and I'm not a smoker, but you know, I just I bring these things all around. Um, what you see is that since Lorillard was the one that existed ahead of time, they had the biggest market share when we're talking about electronic cigarettes. When you look going out 10 years from now, they're expecting that there's going to be equal market shares across these big tobacco manufacturers. And when you look at the revenue that's expected, it's expected to get really big while traditional combusted tobacco revenue is going to go down. So they're basically flipping. The expect expectation is that combusted tobacco will continue to go down while e-cigarettes go up. So what do we do? Caveat emptor. We must have a regulated prop product for an informed consumer with fully disclosed labeling. You got to know what's in it. Got to know what it does. It would be lovely if there was product consistency. So if someone said, how do I use this to quit? I could say, how many puffs you need to use? How many times a day do you need to use it? How do you step down? All of our nicotine replacement products are labeled, so it explains exactly how to use it. There's a roadmap. When we're talking about all these vaping devices, it's the Wild West. If people are using them to quit, we can't give them advice on how that's going to work. So we have good data that nicotine replacement therapy is safer than e-cigarettes. It's unadulterated. It's made in pharmace pharmaceutical companies, so we know what's in it. So until we know all the story about e-cigarettes, we can still recommend nicotine replacement products, um, and I do. I am candid of when I talk to families about e-cigarettes. About I tell them what I know um, and tell them I can't tell you what to use because it's a little bit like buying vitamins on a, from a street vendor. You just don't know what you're going to get. At some point in the future, we may, but right now we don't. And I'll leave you with a quote from my friend, um, Matt Meyer, who is the head for Tobacco-Free Kids. Responsibly marketed and properly regulated, it's possible that e-cigarettes could benefit the public health if they help significantly reduce the number of people who use conventional cigarettes and die of tobacco-related disease. 
But in the absence of FDA oversight, the easy availability of nicotine in uncontrolled quantities, packaging, and flavors, and marketing that appeals to youth raises significant concerns. And I am here for questions, and I will stay. <laughs> Sorry, I went long. So we do have a few minutes for a couple of questions. Thank you, Sue, for teaching us a lot about something I don't know anything about. Jolene. So hold up to questions. Um, so I think the thing that I find most concerning is aggressive marketing to teens who are not so Oh, sure. And we've worked so hard to, with overwhelming evidence about the negative effects of cigarette smoke, mm -hmm. to dampen down the aggressive advertising. So now that we don't have that. Right. Overwhelming evidence of harm from e-cigarettes. So, what is it going to be? Well, so what we were hoping um, is that the FDA would assert control over the marketing for electronic cigarettes, and they have not. That was not part of their deeming document, that they would um, control the, the advertising. So the master settlement agreement is what caused the advertising to get tamped down. Um, there was actually legislation and, uh, you know, rulemaking that made it illegal to advertise on television uh, and advertise on movies and things like that. So we were hoping that that same kind of rulemaking would happen for electronic cigarettes. It didn't. Um, so we will see where this goes. We're still hoping that in may there may be another rule that comes up. Um, FDA is getting sued every time they sneeze or every time they look left or look right. And so I understand that they wanted to get this through with this, this first rulemaking document with as few um, as little opposition as possible, so I'm hoping that they'll go the next step and do the marketing. But you're right, we don't have very much evidence yet about how bad is it. And we can say, you know, we're worried about X, Y, and Z, but we don't we don't know what the trajectories are going to be. Um, and I can show you there's some really cool YouTube videos about people doing smoke tricks. So kids are using these to play and do some cool tricks. And I don't know what's in there, the vaping devices. Uh, I really applaud your efforts to. Uh try and get some regulation on this and the safety for children, and I hope it works. But an experience from our uh, efforts with Splash, seeking proper legislation against swimming hazards, yep. we thought it was mother, apple pie, yeah. safety for kids. You would not believe the opposition that came out of the woodwork. Yeah. Everybody that had anything to do with fences, homes, mortgage companies, banks, insurance companies, everybody came out of the woodwork. Came out against it. And when you're talking about a product that has the potential for billions of dollars of profit. Yep. Well, we're hoping that we have um, uh, unanimous support um, because it didn't get a blip in committee. So I don't know. I'm going to be optimistic, but I totally understand. The, the thing with this is that this is not fencing. The, the, when we're talking about regulating something like this, it's really pennies, whereas a fence is thousands of dollars. So. They're financially, they're definitely different different beasts, but we're, we're loading for bear. We're expecting that there will be opposition, and that's why we're trying to do this grassroots. You will probably, if you're an AAP member, you will no doubt get something from AAP um, to try to support this, to try to get uh, people on board. But your point's really well taken. It's never easy. Yeah. When you try to figure out reg uh, regulation, et cetera, in this product, is it the device? or the uh, juices, and how do you separate those two, or how do you combine them when you're trying to make it all make sense? So my heavy sigh is because when um, both are important, uh, and FDA has at present, it's, it's a little bit not clear how they're going to regulate the devices and the e-juice. Um, if you buy views, it's a product that comes together. The cartridges are preloaded. You're not doing any doctoring on your on your own. So it's one device, and they'll regulate that one device. But as we as the one that's circulating, that's a vaping pen, and that vaping pen can be used for something that's not tobacco. They can use it for pot. They can use it for whatever. So that vaping pen at present can't be regulated under the FDA. So I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do because that the, the, that little yellow one that's floating around is outside of FDA's jurisdiction because it doesn't have to be for nicotine. Well, that, we're on um, substance use researchers. Yeah. Marijuana I know. So it's kind of interesting how you how slice you and dice it. You, you can always buy a bomb and things. And Absolutely. So if you could buy these, they are quote safer. So you have all the same problems. Right, right. And it's outside of jurisdiction right now. So I don't know the answer. Let's take one more question and then I'm sure she'll I'll, I'll stick around. Yes. A, a testimonial and a public health question. 
testimonial is that our then 28-year-old daughter successfully quit smoking um, combustible nicotine by using the e-cigarette two years ago. So we're, we're fans. Um, where does nicotine come from? Um, if nicotine comes from tobacco, there was a um, only if it's not otherwise synthesized. There was an article in the New York Times um, just last month about children picking tobacco right. um, in North Carolina and getting sick from they call green tobacco, green tobacco. sicknesses. Mm -hmm. So picking tobacco, particularly in the early morning, and getting sick from the dew on the um, Right. So um, green tobacco sickness is, is actually a bigger international problem than it is in the U.S. because child labor um, across the world is picking the, the green tobacco and the kids do get really sick. Um, adults can get really sick from that as well. So your point's completely well taken. Um, so most of our nicotine in these devices is coming from tobacco leaf. So in that regard, it would be, it is over, it's under, under the oversight of FDA. Any nicotine um, is that comes from there. You can get it from potatoes. It takes a heck of a lot of potatoes, um, <laughs> but you can. And there's there's a manufacturer that is that is asserting that their product is derived from potato, in which case it is not under FDA jurisdiction because it is not derived from tobacco leaf. You can make it in the lab. You can actually synthesize it completely, but it's astronomically expensive. So that is a very small fraction because it's just not cost effective. So the overwhelming majority is from the tobacco leaf. If it derives from tobacco leaf, it's under FDA, um, the Family Tobacco Act, uh, Smoking Act. Um, if it's potato. But isn't the F food? Yes, however, that's a really, no, but they're different. Um, so it's the Center for Tobacco Products is actually a, a different, there's different wings of FDA and, uh, to, and tobacco lives in tobacco and food lives in food and there's cedar, there's all sorts of different offices and never the twain shall they. They're not regulate, they're not gonna regulate the potatoes. <laughs> Thank you guys very much for your attention.